Welcome to the Keep Growing at UF podcast. I'm Kara. And I'm Brandon. We are trainers on the UF HR training and organizational development team. Training and organizational development has identified key skills that faculty and staff can develop as individuals and as leaders. The Keep Growing podcast will present some of our team's trainings in an audio format so that you can listen and learn at your convenience. We live in a time where people are achieving early success at a rapid pace and their stories are amplified. In a short amount of time, these stories have gone from the remarkable exception to the new expectation of success. While reaching a certain level of success at a young age can set you up for long-term success, there are some inherent dangers that come with taking on too much too soon. In this podcast, we will debunk this myth that you must have your dream job and be building your empire by the time you're in your 30s. Then we'll take a look at some examples of success that were a slower burn, built up over time. Finally, we will dig into some tools to help you design your own long-term success story. This webinar was originally presented by Kara White and myself, Brandon Telg, on Tuesday, September 1st, 2020. Please note, in this recording, there is a reference to a link for an activity. That link can be found in the notes of this podcast in your podcast app. For today's webinar, we have three goals. First, we want to debunk this myth or social, social construct that you should have your dream job or living your full extra life by the time you're in your 30s. Uh, then we'll take a look at exploring some examples of long-term success, some success that took a little longer to get started. And then we're going to provide you with tools to design your own long-term success story. So let's dive in. The first thing we want to talk about is debunking this idea of early success. And, and we hear about this a lot. There's, there's a lot of glamorizing of this early success. We live in a time where people achieving early success at a rapid pace and and there's and these stories are being amplified um, instead of being kind of the exception it's now become the expectation lists like forbes 30 under 30 or shows like little big shots and even most sports kind of create this narrative that if you haven't achieved success at a young age you you probably won't ever. And while reaching a certain level of success at a young age can set you up for long-term success, there are some inherent dangers of taking on too much too soon. In an article pu published in 2011, Barbara Moses suggests a few dangers of achieving success at a young age uh, can lead to. The first is financial impacts. And, and this doesn't have to look like the dramatic stories of lottery winners who kind of like go bankrupt in less than a year, but it can look like getting too comfortable in the salary that you make, that you stay in a job because you, even though you hate it, because you're not qualified to take on anything else. Additionally, relationships can take a hit both personally and professionally. If your friends and peers are in different stations in life, it can feel awkward to be advancing and some may harbor some resentment toward you and, and attribute your success to luck rather than merit or skill. You may also experience imposter syndrome as it's more common among people who have achieved success at a rapid pace. Am I qualified to do this? I have no idea what I'm doing. These kinds of thoughts will lead you to second guessing your decisions, uh, having anxiety, experiencing anxiety, and underperformance. And, and the last thing she cautioned against was burnout. 
Uh, people who take on too much too quickly can quickly burn the candle at both ends and, and burn it out. Now, this isn't to say that anyone who ever achieved success at an early age is going to experience these things. There are tons of success stories that start at a young age and build from there. But there are a lot, particularly artists and athletes, that fall from fame just as quickly as they got there. I'm, I'm sure you can think of some just off the top of your head. So the question I would like to pose to you is, would you climb this ladder, this rickety ladder that seems to be built on such a, a, a rocky foundation? This is what early success can look like. If you, if you progress too quickly, too soon, uh, you, you're, building, you're, you're climbing a ladder on a wall you may not want to be on. So taking time to build your success can build a foundation that will prepare you for opportunities that will prepare you, uh, propel you forward. And it's, it's all right to take some time to build that foundation so you can build up in the direction that you actually want to move. So let's look at some examples of long-term success. One of my personal favorites is Oprah Winfrey. I love her story. After a rough childhood, Oprah was able to achieve what I think anyone would describe as success. I think she's objectively successful. She was ranked by some as the most influential person in the world, and she was North America's first black multi-billionaire. She's been considered the queen of all media, and I would agree with that. Uh, she's most famous for her talk show, which aired from 1986 to 2011, uh, but she went on to run her own production company, Harpo Productions, and her own network channel, OWN, Oprah, uh, Oprah Winfrey Network, and she's just, she's just a really big deal. But did you know that she was actually fired from her first co-anchor position at a network in Baltimore? She went on to work lower level positions at that network until she was recruited to co-host a show called People Are Talking, which you've probably never heard of, uh, wasn't very popular. And she did that actually for five years before moving to Chicago and taking a role on a very low rated half hour long show that eventually became, everyone liked her so much that it became its own show, which was the Oprah Winfrey Show. If you've attended any of my other webinars or anything, you know that I love Brene Brown. She's one of my biggest heroes. Her big debut into the public eye was when her TED Talk on vulnerability went viral in 2012. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I so recommend it. It is one of the, the most viewed TED Talks. And she was actually 40 years old and had already written four books by the time she gave that TED Talk. Uh, didn't have a whole lot of traction before then, but since then she has written and published four very widely successful books, uh, grew a business com consulting on authentic leadership, and anyone who's in the leadership space can tell you about the power of the work she's done. And most recently she started a podcast interviewing some pretty impressive humans. You may have heard of Stephen Covey or um, at least his very popular book, Seven Habits for Highly Successful People. And while he did have a very successful career in business before publishing that book, the publication of that book is what launched him into an incredible, like uh, a household name. He was incredibly popular, um, a very successful writer, went on to write more books, became a keynote speaker, and, and brought major attention to his company, Franklin Covey. 
And he published that book when he was 57 years old. 57. That's like, he has a full life before he even published that book. And lastly, we want to talk about Charles Bradley and Sharon Jones. And I have to admit, Brandon had to educate me on these two because I am not well versed in the world of soul music as he is. Uh, but I loved hearing their stories as well. Uh, Charles Bradley's actually uh, a Gainesville native. He was born here and he was a singer who performed most of his life, but didn't get his first record deal until he was 60. Uh, he spent years working odd jobs and performing actually as a James Brown cover artist uh, to pay the bills. And, and during the 2010s, after, you know, he landed his first record deal, he blew up. He toured and played every major music festival. He was the subject of a documentary called Soul of America and kind of became the face of soul music until his death in 2017. Similarly, Sharon Jones got her first record deal later in life as well. She worked as a CO at Rikers Island Prison for many years before recording her first album at 40. She went on to record nine albums and was even uh, nominated for a Grammy for Best R&B Album in 2014. And our last story we want to share is our very own Brandon, and I'll let him take it from here. So in this picture, I may look like an undergrad. I hadn't, um, I was close to an undergrad at that time. I hadn't grown in all the grays that are uh, peppering my hair now. Uh, but in fact, I am 31 years old as of recording this. Uh, but I've worked at UF since I was 15. My first summer job was editing videos at IFAS. I did that off and on until I was 21. I got a job at the College of Dentistry in classroom management and worked there for a few years until I transitioned to IT, working in video until I was 28 years old. It wasn't until the job that I'm working in now that I felt fully in my element and working in a job that aligned with the things that I'm truly passionate about and beginning to feel anything close to success at UF. Now, to the outside eye, I got a dream job by 30, but the reality is I had been building towards this for nearly 15 years, not to mention the many years in my 20s where I was really just pushing through, developing my skills by getting a master's degree and doing community work, which strongly influenced my forward momentum. Truthfully, I had been applying to jobs for six years before I was given the shot that I have at the position that I'm in. I believed that I was a failure because things were taking so long, but every step of the way I was learning. I was building guardrails so that when I did start to see successes, I actually knew how to take advantage of opportunities and build them sustainably. Now, do I consider myself a success at UF, as in am I a program manager or director or even someone with much status at all? No. And if those were the things I was basing my success off of, I'd still feel like a failure. I've been working at UF for half of my life after all. But I believe that maybe those things may be in the future one day, but for now at least, I have successfully followed certain steps on my journey to get myself to a place that I want to be, that has the opportunity for growth if I choose to pursue it. Getting where I am is a personal success in its own way, but it took me 15 years to get to the starting line. And you know what? That's okay. Now, we've talked 
about the ideal of overnight success and how it's a myth. And we've seen some stories, including mine, about how long-term success works. Uh, next, we're going to talk about how to plan for your long-term success. The first thing you need to do is take a look at all the things you want to do. And the emphasis here is you. What do you want? Of course, you can take into consideration the wants and needs of your family or a partner, but ultimately the goal here is to define your vision and set goals that will help bring that vision to life. At some point today, or you could even pause this and uh, do it now, take six minutes to sit down and answer this question. If I could have anything, do anything, or be anything, what would it be? For the intentions of this presentation, that thing is your why. Now, the first key to long-term success is alignment. You must align your actions with your goals. Often we can get caught up in our own minds focusing on I should or I ought to do something. If you hear yourself saying that you should, ought to, or have to do something, then you might be setting yourself up to do something that is not aligned with getting you where you want to be. Focus on the I wants, so long as those things are helping you achieve your goals towards building long-term success. To further this concept of alignment, once you have identified your goals, you can build your way up to achieving them by focusing on your identity capital. Identity capital is a form of social currency. And when I say currency, you may think of finances. That's what the word means by itself, after all. The thing that we use to purchase the things that we want capital, but identity capital is what we metaphorically use to purchase jobs and relationships. In other words, to quote Dr. Meg Jay, author of Defining Decade, a book about identity capital, quote, it is the repertoire of individual resources that we assemble over time. These are the investments we make in ourselves, the things we do well enough or long enough that they become a part of who we are. Some identity capital goes on a resume, such as degrees, jobs, test scores, clubs, other identity capital is more personal, such as how we speak, where we're from, how we solve problems, how we look. Identity capital is how we build ourselves bit by bit over time. It's the story you put out into the world, and that story is something that you get to write. You get to choose what you invest in and how your story reads both to yourself and to the world around you. The things listed on this slide are some of, but definitely not all of, the ways in which your identity capital is built. The more of this capital that we build in, say, a degree you might get, a hobby you pursue, the more doors will likely open for you. What you spend your time doing, what you choose to invest in, is your why. So make sure that you choose that intentionally and you pursue the why that you have identified for yourself. Now, if you're saying to yourself, I don't invest in my why, then let us first of all ask ourselves what the reason is for that. And then second, how we can change that. Once you start to invest in that thing that motivates you, it will put you on a path towards it. Um, Frederick Nietzsche once said, I'm paraphrasing slightly, uh, a person who has a why to live for can bear with almost any how. And this is true personally and professionally. If you know that you want to be something, if you know you're wise to do a particular job, invest in that thing. Let's say you believe in your heart you're wise to be a researcher. You really want to make the world a better place through science. Yet you found yourself on a life track and you're a copy editor. 
You can always invest in your why. Take online classes, take EEP classes, spend time with scientists, go to science events, volunteer. If you know this is your why and you invest in it, you will inevitably put yourself on a path towards making that happen for yourself. So in the description on this video, or if you're listening on the podcast, uh, there will be a link to uh, an article, 51 Ways to Build Identity Capital. Uh, please open that and uh, pause this recording and take the next eight minutes to read this document, really starring your top five ways to build identity capital, and then do them. Do them. So I'm going to give you a chance to pause it now. All right, uh, I'm assuming you're back, uh, you've pressed play. Uh, I'm gonna continue. So as we discussed before, it's all about alignment. What is your why? What does your identity capital tell you? Is your identity capital aligned with your why? Chances are, if not, you experience some frustration about that. What can you do right now to get where you wanna be? Well, look for opportunities find aligned opportunities and know that not every opportunity is the right one. Exactly. I think, I think Brandon brings up so many great points about building identity capital and, and that article points out a lot of ways to do that. And as you start to look for those opportunities, you're going to realize that there are a lot of them. So what can we do to make sure that we're focusing our time and attention and we're investing in the right opportunities? I wanna share with you guys a thing that I came across a little while ago called a strategy screen. Now this is a series of questions you develop before you go looking for opportunities or before uh, you encounter an opportunity that will help you decide if it's right for you or not. And, and the kind of theme for these, is it a heck yes or is it a no? And if it's not a heck yes, then it's a no. So here are a couple of examples of strategy screen questions that are really more oriented toward an organization. Organizations can use these strategy screens in a similar way. They, they're designed to help organizations make decisions that help align them with their goals and their mission. But they can be easily adapted to, to you and your purpose and your why. Things like, does it help me advance toward my goal? Do I have the capacity to pursue it? Can I pay for it or does it pay for itself? And we'll talk about a few resources that exist for you that pay for themselves. And am I the best person to take this on? And sometimes if the answer is no to that, it's what do I need to do to become the best person to take this on? Even more concisely, and I like this saying a lot, if it doesn't fit my schedule or my soul, it's not for me. And again, driving back that heck yes or no. If it's not something you're enthusiastic about or excited about or passionate about, it's a no. And you can practice, if you have a hard time saying no like I do, you can practice some responses that, that'll let, allow you to say no to opportunities that don't put you in line with that. So I, I wanted to share a couple more examples of strategy screen, screen questions. And I actually came across this uh, term from a keynote speaker at a conference that I went to two years ago. Her name is Tiffany Dufu. She has a book, it's called Drop the Ball, and I highly recommend it. It's a great read. And she actually 
used a strategy screen in her family. She and her husband created this strategy screen together to help them make decisions um, for, for their family goals. And I wanted to share them with you because they helped impact how I created mine. So her, her main purpose, and she shares this in her book, is to uh, help advance women and girls. And her husband feels like his purpose in life is to help advance Sub-Saharan Africa. So their first question, whenever an opportunity arises for either one of them, is to ask, will this advance women or Sub-Saharan Africa? And if it's not a yes to one of those, it doesn't move to the next question. But if it does, they move on to the next one, which is, is it true to the values our parents instilled in us? If it's a heck yes, they move to the next one. Will this, be put, will this put us on the path to financial freedom? Again, if it's a heck yes, they go to the next one, which is, will our descendants be proud of us for, use, for taking this opportunity? I think that one can be really powerful. So like I said, I don't, I, I don't use those specific strategy screen questions, but they did help me make mine. And I thought I'd share some of mine with you. I'm, I'm still developing a good strategy screen as I am still learning to identify my core values and, and my purpose in life. But I have been able to make a lot of decisions based around these three questions that I thought I'd share as well. My first one is, will this opportunity open more opportunities in the future? I like to make the choice that gives me the most options in the future. And sometimes when I'm in the future and I have more choices to make because of that choice, I kind of kick myself a little bit. But I think I would always rather have too many options than feel like I don't have any. My second question then is, does this align with my values? And my third, which I feel is core to my purpose is, is there something that I could learn or something I could teach someone from this experience? So hopefully those questions and those examples give you an idea of how you can create your own strategy screen by crafting questions that help you stay aligned with your purpose. So last, we wanna share some resources. I kind of mentioned we have some free resources that pay for themselves. And the first that we wanna promote because we really don't feel like it gets enough attention is the employee education program. And I can't emphasize this enough. You can get a free degree. You can get a degree for free um, just by being an employee at UF. So we highly recommend taking advantage of that. That is an incredible way to build identity capital and prepare yourself for opportunities as they, as they can open up in the future. I know Brandon's a proponent as he has been a participant in this program and, and we can't say enough good things about the EEP or the Employee Education Program. The next resource we wanna plug, um, maybe a little shamelessly, is the, the training and development program, our, our program. We have a couple of certificate programs that are really designed to help you learn and grow and build your identity capital. Now, we didn't use that term necessarily when we built it, but that's really what it's for. We have the Thrive at UF program, um, which helps you just build marketable skills and build some of those softer skills to be a good employee. We have a managing at UF program for, for current managers and aspiring managers or people who think they may want to be managers. Uh, we have the leadership network, we have Gators together, and then we have our Keep Growing campaign that we're doing now. 
And last, we have LinkedIn Learning, which is free for all you have employees as well. You just have to log into LinkedIn and through GatorLink authentication, you can access thousands of hours of tutorials on any subject you can possibly imagine uh, that may be of interest to you or may help you uh, build the skills you need to better live your why. Thank you so much for being a part of this webinar. If you have any further questions or comments or you want to learn more about this, um, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, our email is training at ufl.edu.